Good morning, everyone, and happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room today. Um, also, happy Father's Day to any men in the room that do not have kids of their own, but has been either a spiritual father or a surrogate or a father figure um, for people. And I will be remiss if I didn't say for uh, sometimes Father's Day can bring up um, emotions and sadness and hurt if your father has gone to glory. And also, if your father is here, but uh, maybe your father has abused you, has abandoned you, um, has neglected their duties, and that can also bring up emotions. So I'm here to tell you that you have a heavenly father in heaven that loves you so much and loves you more than any earthly father can. And that should give us peace and hope day after day. If you recall on, oh, and happy Trinity Sunday, where we, <laughs> should have started with that probably, <laughs> where we celebrate God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And um, if you recall on Mother's Day, Pastor JP uh, preached about fishing. And weirdly enough, on Father's Day, I am preaching about the crying woman. So do with that what you may. So the story of Simon Jesus and the unnamed woman demonstrates the distinction between what's in our mind and what's in our heart and our awareness of it. So the big idea is that gospel growth comes when we have an increasing awareness of self, our self-nature, our sinfulness, and God's holiness. So let's pray and get into his word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you right now asking that you would forgive us for our sins, that you would open our eyes and our ears to hear your word, and that the words out of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight. Allow your will to be done and not my own, that you would empty me out as a vessel, fill me up with your Holy Spirit, and your Holy Spirit would be in this room and everyone will know that your Holy Spirit is in this room as it rests, rules, and abides within our heart, mind, body, and soul. And in Jesus' name do we pray, amen. So, an overview of the story. We have Simon, who is a Pharisee, invites Jesus, the rabbi, to his home for dinner. So, as they go to Simon's home... As we know that uh, dinners back then, they would recline back at the table. One would have their elbow kind of into the floor. And prior to the meal being served, we have this unknown woman um, who Simon refers to as the sinner. Her that Jesus is in town, comes into the house, comes into the courtyard, and she stands behind him and begins to weep. And as the tears are flowing, as the emotions are high, it is getting on his feet. And so she begins to wash his feet with her tears. She dries them with her hair. Then she has this most expensive bottle of alabaster oil that she anoints his feet with. And then she kisses his feet, not in a, in a sexual way, but in a way that is custom for both respect and honor and humility. Now we have Simon over here standing on the sidelines, 
And he thinks to himself, I knew it. I knew this teacher was not a prophet. Clearly, if he was a true prophet, he would know what this woman has done. He would know how sinful she is to the point where he wouldn't even let her touch him. Jesus being the God of all things, Jesus knowing all thought, if you look closely at the scripture, it said that Simon thought to himself. These are things that were not uttered aloud, but yet Jesus knew what was in his heart. So therefore, he said, Simon, allow me to tell you a parable. And Simon, of course, said, yes, teacher, teach me. And so Jesus gives them the parable of those who had owed money to someone. In fact, actually, let's put some names to them. Let's say, um, let's say Pastor Brian owes me $100. Since JP is the lead pastor, we'll say he owes me $1,000. And since both of them are preachers, they can't afford to pay me. So being the good guy that I am, I'm going to wipe their debt clean. And so Jesus asked the Pharisee, which one of them do you think would love more? And he said, well, of course, the one that had the bigger debt that you have forgiven would, would of course, love more. And so then he just kind of like, he gets in there to Simon and say, look, you, you invite me over to your home. You did not kiss me when I come in, which was a custom. They would put their hands on their shoulder and kiss one cheek and kiss the other. He said, when, when I sat down as I've been walking the dusty roads and, and the soles of my feet are just entwined with string, so it's not, he doesn't even have shoes on, so his feet's dirty, and so it's custom that when you have a guest coming to your house and no other guest than Jesus himself, that you would pour a little bit of cool water on my feet to wash them. And then the third type of hospitality, that you would take something that smells good, something that was sweet to the nose, and you would gently put it on my head. But Simon, you didn't do any of that. But this woman who heard that I was in town, barged in in front of everyone, and she just weeps as she has a self-awareness of her sinfulness. And as she weeps, she gets down on her knees to wash the Savior's feet, to anoint them, to kiss him. And Jesus said that she has been doing this ever since she came. The first thing that we're going to talk about is the art of seeing. From Simon's vantage point, all he saw was this prostitute. Now, we know that she wasn't a criminal because if she was a thief, they would not have let her into the home. But she was known by everyone in town. Well, most likely she was a prostitute. Women who were singled, unmarried, and illiterate would typically not have many means to live off of. So they had to resort to selling their bodies. And unfortunately, this is the practice that happened in a lot of third world countries today. 
it's neither here nor there, not saying that it's right, it is a reality that happens in the world. But yet, when she saw Jesus, when she heard that Jesus was in town, the first thing she did was go running to Jesus. But the viewpoint from Simon was that she's a sinner and he's not a prophet. We have to have eyes to see Christ-like things when we have Christ in us and we have the gospel in us. When I was 12 years old, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. When I was 13 years old, I felt the calling to preach. And I remember going to my youth pastor, telling him that what was on my heart, and he set up a meeting with the senior pastor, the Reverend Charles E. Young. I remember there was a Sunday morning, and Pastor Young was reclining back in his chair in his office. He had a small, portable black and white television. Um, he was a very much a lover of baseball, and when the Dodgers were playing doing service, he would take his sweet time getting to the pulpit. <laughs> and so as we are sitting in his office, and he has heard from my youth pastor that I think I'm called to preach, he wants to know more about this calling. And so I talked to him about God is my savior, and I want God to be the savior of everyone. And I feel this, this passion, this fire burning inside where I want to preach the gospel. So he said that they would set a, a time on a Sunday afternoon about three weeks at 3.30 and that I could preach my first sermon and that the elders and the congregation and, and they were basically looking to see if I showed significant evidence that I was called to preach. And so I did, and I think I literally preached for about 90 minutes. And he said, of course, you're called to preach because you are long-winded, like most preachers. <laughs> and at that time, I was licensed into ministry as having the backing of the church to study, to learn, and to preach the gospel. And so for two years, I would go around and I would preach at the the Pentecostal church, the church of God in Christ, the, the, we were missionary Baptists and I would preach at the Southern Baptists and I would preach at the American Baptists and the Northern Baptists and the Baptists just keep going on and on, <laughs> but they needed Jesus. And after two years of studying, after two years of preaching, after two years of just saying, I am all in for Christ. I went back to him and I said, I'm ready to be ordained. And he said, what do you know about our nation? And I said, unless I'm ordained, I'm not able to both serve communion, marry, and baptize people. And as people are coming to Christ, I want to have the privilege and the honor of adjourning with them, of being on their journey, and, and, and serving their first communion, and baptizing them. And, and I know this is what I should be doing. And he said, well, we can't give you a written exam because you're 15. So... In order for this to happen, Marcus, we would have to put you in front of the whole congregation and you would be asked questions that from the elders, we would call the delegates from the, from the Missionary Baptist Convention, and you would have to pass a verbal oral test in front of people because people would have to see that you were called to preach and that you knew biblical doctrine. So I said, let's do it. And he said, am I sure? And I said, yes. I said, I prayed 
and this is, we're, we're going to do this. And so we set a time, and I remember the congregation was sitting behind me. I was wearing my three-piece suit, and I was sitting right there on the front pew, and there was a, a, a row of uh, elders and delegates, and there was a moderator, and they started asking me all sorts of questions. Um, and there's only one that I know that I, that I got wrong at the time, or I didn't get it wrong, but my answer was unique. They asked me that how does, how does a church support some, themselves? Um, and I, you know, if, if they don't have money, and I said, well, the pastor would need to go out and get another job and take his paycheck and put it in the church, and the church continued to support themselves. The, the answer they were looking for was in Malachi that we would encourage God's people to pay their tithes and their offerings, and God will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that we should not be able to receive. But minus that, because my answer technically wasn't wrong, because we do have bivocation pastors, um, I was set aside and I was laid hands on and ordained to the Christian ministry after two hours of being grilled in front of the congregation. But the art of seeing was that my youth pastor had to see Christ in me to even present me to the senior pastor. And the senior pastor had to see Christ in me and the gospel in me to even present me to the congregation to preach my first sermon. And then the board of elders and the deacons and the moderator had to see Christ in me in order to ordain me into the ministry. Because what they saw in me was Christ. But what Simon saw in that sinner was a prostitute. What that sinner saw in Jesus was a savior. So the art of seeing can only come when we have eyes like Jesus. If there are millions of people in the world that have not heard Jesus, that are not saved, if we're encountering people throughout our day, we're encountering people on our front lines, but we don't extend the gospel to them because either one, we don't experience Jesus, like we talk the talk and we know the scriptures, but is Jesus actually in us for people to see? And is Jesus in us for us to see people the way Christ does? So not only did Simon not see her, he didn't see that she had purchased the most expensive gifts she could to come and anoint the feet of Jesus. As the other men around the table are talking, she's worshiping God because she sees God for who he is. Jesus sees and knows what really is in our heart. When we see Jesus for who he is, then we can love Jesus for who he is and we can love others as Jesus. The art of loving. As Jesus described the parable, the one that will love him more, we realize that when we self-reflect, when we understand our own sinfulness, one of the things that was happening with Simon is that he was blinded by his own pride, and he was blinded by his own sin. He could clearly see the sins of this woman. He could clearly see, and so therefore, he was judging. How many of us have a hard time seeing our own sin or justifying our sins? 
We all have our blind spots that typically leads, leads us to judge others. But when we love Jesus, when we're in his presence, do you think Simon should have been down at his knees worshiping, praising God? Absolutely. He was in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your souls, and with all your strength. John 4.23, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for that is the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. Do you worship God in spirit and in truth? Is the gospel so entwined, is the good news of Christ so entwined in you that when you see someone repenting of their ways, that you would rejoice, that you would be glad that someone else has been admitted into the kingdom of heaven? Remember the parable about the two sons and the ones that went away that got his inheritance, but yet when he came back, it was an older son? He did not rejoice. He was upset. He said, Father, I didn't go anywhere. I didn't spend any of my money. I stayed here, but yet you are, you're embracing that person. Sometimes that is us. When we see a sinner doing well because they've, they've repented and accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. God wants us to love him lavishly, not the stuff that we do on Sunday mornings and comes and maybe we serve the coffee or maybe we teach a Bible study class. He wants to be Lord of our life. He wants us to see people the way he sees people. Therefore, for us to love people the way he loves people. Because he knows that our sin, that he's bigger than the sin and the struggle and the brokenness and the pride and the blindness that captivates our lives sometimes. As she's at his feet in, in a kneeling position, re repenting of her sins, the art of loving God is not only a life of devotion in Christ, but also a life of repentance before God. Because as we read our gospel and we grow in God's word, it propels us to want to repent of our sins. And not just the sins that we know we should repent of, like, you know, lying and gossip, but the sins that we so easily ignore, like lust or pride, or pornography, or neglect for your family, or neglect for your kids, or, or gambling, or drinking too much, or using drugs, or, or cheating on your wife. Maybe not cheating in a physical way, but maybe cheating in an emotional way. Things that we do that we think no one knows, but yet God knows, because God knows our heart. Simon didn't have to verbalize what he was saying. He, he didn't, because Jesus knew what was in his heart. And by engaging with Simon, by Simon not speaking, he proves that he really was the true prophet. When we love God and we see God as he is, it makes us want to love him more and to praise him. 2, Timothy, 2 Samuel 6.14, David loved the Lord so that he danced before the Lord with all of his might to the point his clothes fell off. 
Not saying we should do that in the modern day. <laughs> Just putting it out there. Being raised in the Missionary Baptist Church, sometimes when I was a kid, there would be the, the lovely church ladies with their beautiful hats and they got their hair did and they're wearing their high, hue, their, their high heels and, and they, they smell kind of like perfume and fried chicken because normally they've been <laughs> cooking and baking cakes all day long. And sometimes, you know, they get slain in the spirit and I, I would see them running up and down the aisle and the hat goes here and, and the sweat and, and got the curls going out. And sometimes you think, man, are they doing that for a show? But then you talk with them and you talk to the mother, you talk to the, to the church lady and you realize that God has been good to them and that there is a story behind their praise so when they think of the goodness of the Lord, it does make them want to shout. It does make them want to wash the feet of Jesus. It does make them want to love more and to care more, to forgive more and to serve more. So if you're struggling in that area, you may have to check yourself and say, maybe do I love Jesus as much as I think I do? Then there's the art of forgiveness. I imagine throughout our journey, we've acted more like Simon than Christ. We see love. We forgive people based on our view of them. We see people through the lens of their sins and not as a creation and a working progress of our Lord and Savior. I assure you today that although I am broken. I am a working progress in Christ. In Colossians 1, 6, Paul commands the Colossians church because the gospel was, was bearing fruit and growing among them since the day that they heard it. Since the day that you became a Christian, is the gospel growing inside of you? Is your relationship with the Lord and Savior, is the good news that led you to repent of your sins and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, are you cultivating the kind of relationship that would give you eyes to see, a heart to love, and knowing that God is a forgiving God? Either we are cultivating our relationship with Christ or we're not. Because our relationship with Christ is not and cannot be stagnant. Either we are doing things daily, either we are loving daily, we're asking for repentance daily, we're rejoicing daily, we're praying daily, we're reading our, our Bibles daily, we're in community daily, we're in communion with God daily. If we're not daily, then, then we can easily get caught up in sin. We can easily start being the ways of the world. The starting point of our Christian faith is when we become aware of the gap between God's holiness and our sinfulness. And God's love fills that gap. At some point, Simon forgot that his sins were no better than the sins of the woman. As our understanding of God grows, as our understanding of God's holiness grows, our ability to love more, give more, serve more and grow more grows as well. 
It'll be in the action that we do. It won't be in words. See, Simon, being a prophet, he knew the words. He knew the scripture. He knew how to keep the rules. He knew about what the Sabbath was. But the sinful prostitute, all she knew is that Jesus was in town, and I want to go and weep and repent and praise and sit at his feet because he's my Lord and Savior. She may not know the scripture. She may not know about the Sabbath. She may not know even who house that was. But when she saw the Savior, it brought her to her knees. The significance difference between the woman and Simon is not that one was the worse sinner than the other, but that one realized that the true need and reality of Christ, that Christ, we need Christ in all that we do. When we're on our jobs, when we're raising our kids, when we're dealing with our dysfunctional family, when we're dealing with church folks, sometimes even worse when we're dealing with church folks. <laughs> Isaiah 49 says, when God by his grace and by his virtue of Christ has sacrificed, bestows his gift of forgiveness on those who obey him, then God has made them righteous. Simon Hart was blinded by his own self-righteousness. He was blinded by his own sin. He was blinded by his own judgment. And the same judgment that he was casting on the prostitute will be that same judgment that will be cast on him. We had a debt that we could not pay. And Jesus paid a price that he did not owe. She came to Jesus loving him lavishly, washing his feet, giving him alabaster oil that was worth a whole year's salary, approximately 15,000 pounds. And she didn't care because it was the Savior. She stood in the middle of that dining table, crying, weeping, washing his feet, confessing her sins as people around her were judging her were pointing at her. Yet sometimes the most righteous person can't even come to Christ. Look at when Jesus came to his disciples and says, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some thinks that you're Jeremiah. You're some kind of prophet. Look at Nicodemus. Nicodemus, like, I want to be born again. But yet he went to, to find Jesus in the middle of the night. So no one would see that he was searching for the Messiah that no one would see him talking to Jesus. You can't be ashamed of your faith. You have to love God in spirit and in truth. Christ wants us, he wants a worshiper that worships him, that wants to know him, that wants to take on Christ in their life so we can love one another. The art of seeing happens when, when we accept Christ and the art of love happens when, when we have Christ in us. Although she was a prostitute, she loved God with everything that she possibly had to love him with. Some of you have much, 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 whether it's money, property, wealth, degrees, and yet you don't show your love for God. I'm not pointing fingers. I don't know who they are. You know what's in your heart. And let me tell you this, and God knows what's in your heart as well. When I 
after I was ordained, one of the things that Pastor Young told me, he said, you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. If you have Christ, hallelujah, but if you don't, have mercy upon you. Because there's nothing worse than playing church before God. Simon knew the rules. Simon, he, he knew what to say, but he didn't have good intentions when he invited Jesus over. He didn't have good intentions when he said that Jesus wasn't the true prophet. He did not have good intentions when he looked at the woman and he judged her. Yet, when she came over, she spoke no words. Everything she did was by her action. So she spoke no words, but yet she was heard. This whole story is about the gospel. This whole story is about the good news in Jesus Christ, the good news that should be in our heart, and the good news that we should be extending, extending to the other. What lies in our heart if it's not the gospel? Where is your heart today? What's in your heart today? In closing, look at verse 47. It says that Jesus said, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. The Lord said her many sins had been forgiven. Not one, but she had many sins, more sins than the ones that they know, but yet they were forgiven. Do you see that the way to justification, the way of appreciation God's mercy is not to play down our sinfulness? Her sins were many, her sins were great, but yet the gospel and Christ was greater. What kind of savior do you serve? What kind of savior are you offering people at your workplace? What kind of savior do you offer a homeless person when you see them? Do you judge them? What kind of savior do you offer the person that you don't like? When you think about the cross, when you think about what must have been going through her mind as she's in a house that's not hers, that she is, she's down at her knees and she's washing his feet and she's weeping and she's repenting and she does not care who is watching because her love for Christ was so lavish. It was over the top. And Simon just didn't get it. He was so blinded. If I was Simon, I would say, move over. Let me get down there and join you. Because that Christ that you're washing his feet was the same Christ that died for me on Calvary. It was the same Christ that was nailed to the cross and pierced in the side. And out came blood and water. That he died on the cross for my sin so I would have the good news. That I would share the good news. That I would live into that good news. And that good news would be day after day after day. Even when you don't have good news in your life. Even when you have the high blood pressure and, and money is not on your side and family issues and divorce issues and, and everything is going on, the good news is in you because you know that you're going to a place one day where you're going to see your Savior. And you're going to a place one day where your Savior is going to know your name. Your Savior is going to say, you have been forgiven because you love me with all your heart, with all your body, with all your might. You can be rich, you can be poor, you can be black, you can be white, you can be whatever you want, but you have to give God your whole heart.
You have to give God your whole mind, and you have to start seeing people the way Christ sees people. Because Jesus is not the gift that you hoard and that you keep. He is the gift that when you receive him, you want everyone to have him. You want everyone to know the goodness of the Lord. You want to be like David and dance. You want to be like the woman and love God, and love God lavishly. And love him lavishly when no one's looking. Love him lavishly when you're in your car. Love him lavishly. Don't, don't be like Simon and invite him over and show him all your good stuff. Go into your closet. Go into your secret place. And love God because he first loved us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, oh, how wonderful it is that you love us so much. That you know what's in our heart, you know what's in our mind, you know what's in our soul. You know the sins that we've repented of and the sins that we're struggling with. But yet you still call our name. You still invite us to come to the cross. And as though millions and thousands have come, there's still room for one more. So Lord, today I ask at the sound of my voice, if there's anyone that doesn't believe that they're saved or do not know you or wondering if you love them, that they would not leave this place the same way that they came, that they would know the love of Christ and that they would know that love and they would love you lavishly. And not only you, but they would love the people that they encounter, that they would introduce Christ to all that they see. Thank you, Lord, that we do not Get the punishment that we deserve because you died on the cross for our sins and you love us so much. And in Jesus' name do we pray. Amen.